You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Genesis chapter 25, verses 1 through 6, Abraham's second marriage and descendants. Now that Sarah has died and Isaac has married, Abraham decides to remarry. He was 140 years old when Isaac and Rebekah married, and he dies at the age of 175, so this union occurs during those years. While the woman named Keturah is here referred to as his wife, 1 Chronicles 1.32 clarifies it and says she was his concubine. Verse 6 lists concubines as plural. He gave none of them the high status of a wife, lest it diminish the status of Isaac or elevate the status of Abraham's other sons. Keturah bears him six sons. The ten grandsons and great-grandsons are also named, to inform the readers where these various nations, including their future enemy Midian, originated. And this also shows us the issue is more related to Sarah's barrenness than Abraham's infertility, since he is clearly able to father children with other women. Abraham truly was the father of nations, as God had promised him in Genesis 17. As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. We are told that Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac, as he was given the status of firstborn, even though he was not firstborn. And this will happen several times in scripture. Abraham's servant Eleazar told Rebekah that Isaac had inherited everything from his father. But in order for there to be no doubt as to his wishes, while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of the concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. He did this to ensure that the estate was Isaac's as the rightful heir and to protect him from competition or threat from his half-brothers. Verses 7 to 11, the death of Abraham. Abraham lived to the age of 175. He had come to Canaan from Haran when he was 75 years old, so he was there for 100 years. Whether our lives are long or short, what matters is that we have left behind a testimony of faithfulness to God. Then we have an epitaph. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. The terms breathed his last and gathered to his people indicate death, while a good old age, an old man and full of years demonstrate the length and quality of the life God blessed him with. The idea of being gathered to his people expresses the idea of life continuing after death, as well as reunion with those who have gone before. We don't know if Isaac and Ishmael saw each other at all in the intervening years, between the time Abraham sent Ishmael and Hagar away and the death of their father, but we are told that they came together to bury him. He was buried in the family burial cave in the field he purchased from the Hittites, which we read about in chapter 23. He was buried next to his wife, Sarah. After Abraham's death, we are told God blessed his son Isaac, who then lived near Beer Lahai Roy. And this was the place he was in when Rebekah arrived from Mesopotamia. And it's also the place where God spoke to Hagar the first time. 
verses 12 to 18, Ishmael's sons. Then continuing on with the description of Abraham's descendants, we are given the family line of his son Ishmael, whom Sarah's slave Hagar the Egyptian bore to Abraham. Arab tradition also names these men as their ancestors. Twelve men are named as the heads of nations. Abraham had been promised this in Genesis 17:20, And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of twelve rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. And here is the fulfillment of that promise. Ishmael lived to the age of 137, breathed his last and died, and was gathered to his people. His descendants settled in the area of central and northern Arabia, were also told, and they lived in hostility toward all the tribes related to them. And this also fulfilled God's word to Abraham about Ishmael's character. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. Verses 19-28, to Rebekah's pregnancy, twins born. Continuing to list Abraham's descendants, we now read about the family line of Isaac, the son of promise. Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah. She is called the daughter of Bethuel the Aramean from Paddan Aram and sister of Laban the Aramean. He is called this in chapter 28, 5 as well. Arameans are Syrians. Abraham himself is of Syrian descent and Paddan Aram is north-northeast of Canaan. But, like the generation before them, Isaac's wife is barren. And this is significant, as she doesn't have her children until Isaac is 60. So during 20 years of barrenness, they must have wondered what was happening. Matthew Henry says, The fulfillment of God's promise is always secure, but often slow. The faith of believers is tried, their patience exercised, and mercies long awaited for are more welcome when they come. But instead of coming up with their own plan like Abraham and Sarah did, Isaac prays to God on behalf of his wife. Like his mother, he recognized that this was under God's sovereign control and timing. This was a better plan, and the Lord answers his prayer, and Rebekah becomes pregnant. Children were seen as a blessing. Since this will end up being her only pregnancy, God blesses her with twins. One full-size baby is uncomfortable enough, but two in one womb are a tight fit, so the babies jostled each other within her. She had no ultrasound, and she didn't know what was going on. She asks God, why is this happening to me? God speaks to her, even before he speaks to Isaac, although he had heard God's voice when he spoke to Abraham in chapter 22. God tells her that her pregnancy discomfort is symbolic of something greater and is prophetic of the future antagonism between the nations to arise from her two sons. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. God could have had Jacob born first, and then there would have been no issue as to which son would inherit the birthright. But this shows his choice in spite of circumstances to the contrary. So the idea of the elder serving the younger was opposed to the custom in a patriarchal society where the eldest or firstborn enjoyed the precedence in the father's household and at the death of the father received a double share of the inheritance 
and became the recognized head of the family. Grave offenses could annul these rights, as would occur with Reuben, or the birthright could be sacrificed or legally transferred. In this case, it was because of God's sovereign elective purposes before the boys had done anything good or bad. So she finally gives birth to twin boys. It's surprising how often it happens that children born to the same parents could be so dissimilar, but they are very different in appearance. The first one was red and hairy all over, so they named him Esau, which means hairy. The second son came out with a solid grip on his brother's heel, so they named him Jacob, which means supplanter, deceitful, or one who takes the heel. The boy's differences were also in temperament and interests. Esau became a skillful hunter in the open country, while Jacob was content to be a homebody. Because of this, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, who provided it for him, whereas Rebekah loved Jacob, who spent more time with her. Partiality is always detrimental. This favoritism by the parents, as well as other factors, influenced the conflict to come in this dysfunctional family. Verses 29 to 34, Esau sells his birthright. Nothing more is said of their early years until we get a day in the life of the brothers, which is pivotal. Jacob was cooking some stew since he spent time with his mother, and Esau came in from the field famished. He insisted on having some of this red stew quickly. We're told that's why he is called Edom, which means red. It's a play on words that would also remind us that he was born red and hairy. Genesis 36:43 tells us this is the family line of Esau, the father of the Edomites. So Jacob, the opportunist, sees his chance to get something for himself. He says, first sell me your birthright. Esau should have scoffed at such a bold demand. It was his by birth, but Jacob's by promise. But in dramatic fashion, he said, Look, I am about to die. What good is a birthright to me? It was not likely that he would die of hunger in Isaac's home. But he was a slave to his appetites. Jacob no doubt let him smell the stew and then pulled it back from him. He said, Swear to me first. Esau swears to sell his birthright to Jacob. Jacob pays him for it with a bowl of lentil stew. Esau eats and drinks, then gets up and leaves, and without a second thought to what he has just done or any regret in the future. And this is important to remember because later he'll accuse Jacob of taking his birthright when he is the one responsible for thinking so little of it that he'd sell it for food. We're told this was how Esau despised his birthright. Scarlet Threads So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or an application to the gospel do we find in this chapter? The children of Abraham and Keturah were sent away from Isaac for his safety. Many of them would later become enemies of Israel, Isaac's descendants. This continued the enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Abraham provided for the sons of the concubines but left everything to Isaac. We must prepare our children for the day when we are no longer here. It's wise to settle the matters of our estates, but the most important issue to resolve is where we and they will spend eternity. It was said that Abraham was gathered to his people. We are heirs of Christ. 
The idea of being gathered to his people expresses the idea of life continuing after death, as well as reunion with those who have gone before. The idea of Abraham still existing beyond the grave is mentioned by Jesus in Matthew 8.11. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And Luke 16 says, The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. And another verse says, But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11 summarizes Abraham's faithful life. By faith, Abraham, when he call, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So he was trusting in the promised deliverer to come. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. And Jesus said the same, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And Paul says that God revealed the gospel to Abraham. In Galatians 3 it says, So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Ishmael's twelve descendants were named, and these became nations. And this fulfilled God's promise to Abraham. Ishmael's hostile, combative nature was also foretold. It happened just as God said, and this is because all things happen as God says. The idea of the elder serving the younger was contrary to the custom in a patriarchal society where the eldest or firstborn enjoyed the precedence in the father's household. In this case, it was because of God's sovereign elective purposes. Romans 9 says not only that, but Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. So the love-hate verse is also in Malachi 1, 2, and 3. 
I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, and have turned his hill country into a wasteland, and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. It refers to being loved in a redemptive sense. It's not because Jacob is any better than Esau. He is not. He is opportunistic and deceitful. It's only because God chose to show him mercy. It's not because of who Jacob is, but because of who God is. I've heard it said that it's not surprising that God hated Esau, but why did he love Jacob? From Esau, the people group, the Edomites, descended, and they were enemies of Israel throughout their history. In Ezekiel 35, God pronounces judgment on Mount Seir for their ancient hostility against the children of Israel. And this was the struggle begun in the womb. The Edomites opposed Saul, but were subdued under David and Solomon. The Edomites rejoiced when Babylon conquered Judah. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to its foundations. So they were eventually forced by the Nabataeans to leave their territory, and they settled in southern Palestine and became known as the Idumeans. They fought on the side of Israel against the Romans in A.D. 70, but died trying to defend it and were never heard from again. And this fulfillment of the prophecy took place over an extended period of time. So since the two nations descended from the same patriarch, Isaac, Israel had been told, Do not despise an Edomite, for the Edomites are related to you. As I said, David conquered the Edomites in a battle recorded in 2 Samuel, and uh, which was led by Abishai. And from that time on, they were subject to Israel throughout the reign of Solomon. Then this was fulfilled that the younger brother ruled the elder brother. There has been hostility between Jacob, Judah, and Esau and Edom since before their birth. The Edomites, as I said, became the Idumeans, and Herod the Great, who was an Idumean, became king of Judah under Rome in 37 BC. In a sense, the enmity between them continued when Herod the Great tried to murder Jesus as a young child, and Herod Antipas, who beheaded John the Baptist and tried Jesus before his crucifixion. So this whole chapter introduces many future enemies of Israel, the descendants of Keturah, of Ishmael, and of Esau. Believers will always have enemies and troubles, but in Christ we have victory. Esau despised his birthright. Hebrews 12.16 comments on his character. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the eldest son. Esau followed the lust of his flesh. Lust refers to any intense desire to satisfy the flesh, including gluttony. John says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Paul describes people like Esau in this way. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Genesis chapter 26. May God bless the study of his word.